All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Uh, joyful Wednesday for many Gamecock fans as the Gamecocks have ended their five-year losing streak to Kentucky. They did so in convincing fashion on Saturday, 24-7, to a comprehensive defensive effort. Wes and Chris did their No Huddle podcast on Monday with their instant reactions. I did my Get Cocky podcast with Will Helms on Monday, digging into some of the advanced metrics from the game on Saturday and uh, basically found out that it was every bit as impressive in terms of the numbers as it was based on just watching the game. Uh, but we're here now as Carolina enters a bye week to uh, have a few big-picture takeaways from the Kentucky game and sort of what we can extrapolate out for the rest of the season. Because I think as much as people are in a good mood headed into the bye week, because Carolina beat Kentucky, because they did so convincingly, it's still 2-3, and three, and it's still a much worse start than people were expecting. This was the easy part of the schedule. Carolina needed to be 4-1 and one or 3-2 and two at this point, going into the bye week and then going into a Georgia game where there will probably be a 20-plus point favorite. I'm guessing the line will be around 24 would be my guess. I've heard some people predict as low as 18, some people as high as 30. It'll be somewhere in there. But after watching the Kentucky game, Chris, do you feel like this team took a sustainable step that will help them get back on track on the other side of the bye week? The the ideal start for this team would have been three and two or four and one, as you said a minute ago. And so, you know, even if this team's only loss was to say Alabama, or or even if they had won that game in convincing fashion against North Carolina and then lost to Missouri or Alabama, I don't, I don't know if it changes the outlook in certain games. For example, the Georgia game is an extremely difficult game for anybody in the country to go to Athens um, and ask them to play that football team is is a tough ask for anyone. Uh, they're really good, and so. Um, that said, I, I think it was a good performance by the Gamecocks. And a lot of people are saying, well, well, Kentucky's not that good, and they're not. Certainly not the Kentucky of last season. Um, offensively, they're really struggling right now. Sawyer Smith, the difference between Terry Wilson and Sawyer Smith, the quarterback, I think is noticeable, um, but <laughs> to say the least. But also, It's really sad. <laughs> but also, you know, Sawyer Smith's banged up. Yeah. But, you know, I think you still take away – I mean, Kentucky – not South Carolina dominated them. I mean, it, this is still an SEC team. I mean, it's a team that played Florida pretty close. Another one of South Carolina's opponents this coming season, um, or, or later in the season. So uh, Kentucky defensively, I don't think they're as good as last year. There's no Josh Allen. You know, they lost some pieces from that team. They lost really their entire secondary, which was really an underrated group. Um, but they still have some good players. And look, this is a style, a team style that's given South Carolina a lot of trouble. And they completely flipped the script on Kentucky by outrushing them by, I think, 132 yards, somewhere in that range. And they also completely dominated the lines of scrimmage. So basically they did what they should have done to that team plus some, I think. So I, th- I don't know if it changes the outlook for the Georgia game in particular, um, but I think for the rest of the season it's something that they can they can build upon. And I think certainly there's some reasons to feel better about how the team played in this game compared to how they played in another couple games earlier in the season. Kentucky's bad, but a lot of fans, the, the pessimistic ones who are just going to find things to be negative about anyway, which is fine. You know, you're, there are always things to criticize. But I think people have gone too far in, I, I guess, saying this game doesn't mean anything because Kentucky's bad. People are acting like Kentucky is Charleston Southern, and nobody is Charleston Southern. There is something to be to be gained from this game. And you're right. Like, not only was Kentucky close with Florida, they absolutely should have won that football game. And that was a game that Sawyer Smith played the majority of it. Terry Wilson went out in the first half, maybe in the first quarter. I don't remember exactly. So this was mostly the same Kentucky team 
that Carolina saw on Saturday. Now you could say, you know, Sawyer Smith dealing with a wrist, and I think it was a shoulder, you know, was a different guy than he saw against Kentucky. But, I mean, the, the reason they were in that game wasn't because Sawyer Smith turned into Patrick Mahomes for three quarters. It was because they were able to run the football. They were able to do enough defensively to stymie Florida to keep that thing close. That's a bad Kentucky team, but it's like – you make a good point. It's still an SEC team, and it's an SEC team that has a common opponent that Carolina will see later in the season. And so I think, at least for that Florida game – Probably should give some Carolina fans hope that that's now one that they can steal. The Wesley? Florida game? Oh, yeah. Is which is one you can steal? Well, I mean, you look at what happened against Kentucky and how that was close. Now that's one that you look at that maybe you were pessimistic about it. And sure, they're sure. still – I mean, they're they're the worst number eight team in the country I've ever seen, that Florida team. That's the <laughs> stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. But, you know, that's that was one that's, that was always – Carolina was always going to be under an underdog. And now I think you have a little bit more hope that you lose North Carolina and Missouri. You should not have lost one of those games – for sure. Now, you know, the, the question is, what game do you steal on the back end that you were maybe yeah. putting in the loss column? And that Florida game now looks, I think, a little more reasonable. That or, you know, maybe the A&M game is another one that, you know, I thought of before the season. I, I think I think some people were sort of counting Florida as a win before the year, and I'm not sure that that's wise um, then or now. Um, Florida, look, they got some issues, and I'm not really convinced they're a top-10 team as well. They, they keep winning but they haven't done it very convincingly, and I think there's some holes there. They can rush the passer. They still have good skill position players, so they cause some problems. But um, you're right. I mean, I think it's a – I think Florida and A&M right now both look maybe a little bit more winnable than they did even going into the season, and those are a couple games that people felt like in order to survive this schedule and have a chance to have a good year, even if you beat North Carolina, even if you beat Missouri, those were the couple games, you know, some of the swing-type games that you were going to have to win. Wes, did you see anything on Saturday that, I guess, dramatically changes your opinion about this team or what to expect from them in the back half of the schedule? I, I don't know if it would dramatically change it, but I, I think you look at the alternative, um, you know, losing that game, <laughs> and it, it dramatically changes just the entire feel around the program. You could almost just feel the sigh of relief, I, I feel like, um, you know, from the staff, from the players, uh, you know, after, after that game. And it, it just – it puts them back in a position where as bad as it's been at times, as much as it has not started the way the fan base or anybody in the program wanted it to, at least you're now back in a situation where the season isn't already completely lost. You know, if they, if they lose that game, then by all intents and purposes, the most of the fan base is going to say this season is over. I mean, you're looking at three and nine, but it's the best case scenario if you lose that Kentucky game. Yeah. So, so you win, nobody's going to pick them to win in Athens. So even if we go ahead and chalk that up as an L, then what you're, you're talking about, like you said, th- this Florida game, they're, they're not going to be favored, obviously. But yeah, they'll still probably be a double-digit underdog, but that game is I haven't winnable. seen anything from Florida this year that makes me think they're even a top-25 team. And you're talking about, you know, South Carolina went to Florida. We've all talked about it. It was talked about all offseason. In Gainesville last year is in a – a position to to win that game and, and possibly win that game, you know, handily at, at one point. So I think if you start to look at the way the schedule sort of plays out, even if you're two and four after Georgia, as long as they compete in that game, it's going to be much like the Alabama game. Nobody's really going to fault them for losing that game. Then Florida, if they can find a way to win that game, then all of a sudden there's actually an opportunity to go on a little bit of a run because you have Tennessee next, then you have Vanderbilt, then you have App State. And I, I say the the way I feel about the App State game is going to be entirely determined by where South Carolina's mindset is as a football team and a program going into that. If they're winning, then 
you know, I, I think, you know, they'll end up beating App State. But if you go into that game wounded and beat up and, and not playing well, then, um, you know, all of a sudden that's a very scary game. So to me, Florida, you know, Kentucky, Kentucky was sort of the swing game for does the season go in the ditch or not completely. Florida all of a sudden becomes the swing game for, okay, this thing is salvageable. A bowl game is in actual reach. And the other, you know, the alternative of, well, th- this thing is not going very well. It's also sort of the epitome of what a difference a week makes in terms of the mentality of the fan base, in terms of the mentality of the team. And again, just being able to go into the bye week with some momentum, with having just won a game and doing so in dominant fashion. But for me, I guess it doesn't dramatically change my expectations for this team for the second half of the season. It, In a lot of ways, it sort of reinforced what I already thought we knew about this team. And in a way that I found really refreshing because I've been saying that this defense has been pretty good all year. There were people that were so caught up in the missed tackles. And, I mean, look, you always want to tackle better. I think that's something that every team needs to improve. But I, I think, by and large, across the the breadth of the fan base, Carolina's tackling issues were really blown out of proportion because of a couple of really ostentatious ones against Alabama. But by and large, this defense has been good. We saw them... I guess, coming together and and having the best performance from the secondary, the best performance from the linebackers and the defensive line all in the same game. And so it really highlighted what this defense can do when they're firing on all cylinders. But what Saturday didn't do is it didn't assuage any of my concerns about the offense that started uh, with Jake Bentley. And then even once Ryan Helinski got in there, the offense looked a little more fluid, a little more coherent, but also Carolina has now proven for five weeks in a row this season that they're really bad at being opportunistic at scoring the football once they get on the plus side of the field, once they get themselves into the red zone or short field situations. That's something that doesn't go away, and that was something that stuck out like a sore thumb to me against Kentucky because there's no reason they should not have scored at least 35 points in that game. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest difference was the third quarter. You know, you get three straight, I think it was three straight three and outs. Um, At the beginning of the game, and this was sort of a key difference in some of the past ones that they played against Kentucky is that, um, you know, they were able to some sustain some things. Even, you know, they come out first play of the game, 15-yard run by Rico Dowdle. Everybody feels like, okay, maybe, maybe they got something here. Um, but I think they had a third and six. Uh, they run a little screen to Edwards, and, and they um, get a first down. And then I think they end up having a third and nine on that same drive and throw a little, just a little basically a dump off Tavian Feaster. And he makes a guy miss and picks up, I think, 12 yards. Um, and then they are able to keep the drive going and go score on the first drive, and that and that was significant. This game, I talked about this with Wes on our rapid reaction pod or whatever we're calling it. Is that no right? Huddle. No, no huddle. No huddle. No huddle. huddle. Rapid reaction day after all those things. But the 2017 game mirrored this game as far as the start. And that you score a touchdown and you then score you get a touchdown and get a turnover. The opportunity on that. Yes. Yep. So it started the same. But the difference is South Carolina was able to go up 10 nothing, and then they I think they got another Kentucky turnover, and then they're able to go score. And so that then one they were able to score. The, the, after right. the Ernest Jones interception, a friend of mine texted me who was like, "This is exactly like the Kentucky game two years ago." Right. I'm absolutely terrified. I mean, I, there's they got the what was their Carolina got the ball on their own 48, I think, so like right at midfield, and have to punt from there. Had to punt. And that's the kind of stuff that has plagued this team, you know, all throughout the year. And they just got. I mean, they really got. I don't want to say lucky because the defense was incredible and the defense was lights out, but the, you know they shouldn't have they shouldn't have put the defense in that position of of having to well, of having to defend that. The offense has to take advantage of the opportunities. That's why they lost the North Carolina game. It wasn't because the defense gave up ninety five and ninety eight yard drives. It was because 
the offense was punting from the plus 40 and couldn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, and that's, those are the things that you're going to have to take advantage of, and that, that's stuff they still got to get cleaned up for sure if they're going to go on and have success against better football teams. But, you know, even though Kentucky's struggling on offense, I mean, to their credit, that was the difference in this game is that defensively they played so well. Kentucky wants to come out and run the ball. They sort of lost, like, everybody's talking about identity. Kentucky's completely lost their identity. They had to throw the ball 40 times against Mississippi State. That's not what they want to do. And so they had to do that. March Soups was concerned about it. This game against South Carolina, they had to throw the ball a good bit more than they wanted to as well, and they weren't very successful doing it. 34 um, times compared to 28 rushing attempts. Yeah, I mean, they rushed the ball 28 times. They couldn't stay on the field. And South Carolina was, you know, whether it was Wildcat, I mean, we saw some of that. Um, whether it was Wildcat stuff, whether it was running the ball with, with uh, Rose or whoever it may be, they just didn't have any success. And they were getting into some, not all their third downs were third and longs, but they just, South Carolina just did a great job. What were that? What was the stat? It was Kentucky was two of 17 when you combine third and fourth down. They were 0 for 2 on fourth down, and they were 2 for 15 on third down. And so that was the biggest difference. They couldn't sustain drives. It gave South Carolina more chances. It gave them better field position. And they were able to, while they didn't play great on offense, they're able to capitalize on enough opportunities. Big big picture or small picture? Which which way are we Either. going right now? Whatever um, you want. I, I thought I'll, I'll do both. Small picture, I thought one of the biggest plays in this game that has not really been, I don't think, mentioned a whole lot, but I, I sort of noticed it again when I was re-watching the game, but was right after, early on, South Carolina has the, the punt, you know, hit one of their guys in the back, Kentucky ball, they force what is a three and out. Kentucky says, we're going for it. Then um, Kentucky tries to run a little pick, pay, pick play, rub route, whatever, um, to isolate the tight end and uh, get him free from T.J. Brunson. Brunson, who I believe in the past has struggled at times in coverage, um, works through the rub route or pick route, depending on which side of the ball you're on, gets there. Makes the tackle, at least holds him up long enough for the rest of the defense to get there and bring him down. I thought that sequence was one of the biggest sequences as far as setting the tone for the game early on. If they if Kentucky goes and scores there, the entire like flow of the game probably is a bit different. And uh, then later on, when Kentucky finally feels like they maybe have a little bit of something working on offense, they run the double reverse flea flicker, um, which they probably had in their back pocket all game looking for an opportunity to hit a big play. And Brunson recovers, finds the tight end, breaks up that pass. Um, I thought for a guy who's been more, I think, comfortable defending the run, those were two big plays in pass coverage that were actually difference makers in this game. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'd, I'd forgotten about the first Brunson one. The second one, though, that you mentioned was huge because yeah. that was when Carolina was still struggling to put the game away. I think it was 17 nothing still at that point. So Kentucky converts there. They're in the red zone. They yep. get a touchdown at 17-7, to and all of a sudden – Everyone at Williams Bryce that's been enjoying a nice relaxing, um, you know, evening all of a sudden gets yeah. really tense. Pressure and, ramps up on the offense. Yeah, and, and again, that's just why it scares me so much because you can't. I mean, if your defense is going to continue to play great, fine, but you can't continue to put that pressure on because you're right. Like T.J. Brunson's not a guy that's known for his pass coverage. If that pass was a second later than it, if if Sawyer Smith threw that pass one second later, it would have been interference because Brunson was just running into the receiver. He didn't find the ball. He did a good job of getting his hands up and not into the receiver's body and then deflecting the ball. Mm -hmm. But if he was seriously half a second late, that would have been pass interference. It would have been a first down. And we're talking about, you know, Carolina maybe getting too conservative again and, and sort of wasting that lead. So I, I said this on my, on my Monday get cocky podcast. One of the things that scares me about this Kentucky game 
is I'm concerned that this is reinforcing bad habits for South Carolina offensively because them getting conservative and it working maybe says to the coaching staff, okay, cool, we're just going to rely on our defense, you know, continually put them in bad positions because we're going to count on them coming through. But that's exactly why they lost the North Carolina game. That's why they lost the Florida game last year because they just get too conservative, are not able to move the ball on offense, aren't able to put a game away, and they're just hoping that their defense makes the, the kinds of plays that they need to down the stretch. I, I feel like that's the the only like truly bad thing that could have come out of this game. Well, I think moving forward, um, if, if this offense is going to be you know, what it needs to be, then we have to at some point finally see some convergence of all the little things that we've seen work in spurts throughout the season. You know, we we talked about it last week, and I brought up the Tennessee game last year, how South Carolina went completely against their, their normal game plan, took the air out of the ball, ran it 40 times, and focused almost entirely on that as their focus. And, you know, I, I think we saw that they can run the football, even when teams are trying to take the run away. We, we saw them prove that against Kentucky. But I think you can't com- – if, if RPOs have been a huge part of, of what you do, and I know RPOs are like a dirty word in Gamecock Nation now. Nobody wants RPOs anymore. But RPOs have still been at times very kind to South Carolina throughout the last year and a half. And to me, they're going to have to find some way to balance all this out. It can't be all the way back one way. Let's just completely take the air out of the ball not stretch the field vertically, and just run the football. Well, but you can just do like, that without running RPOs. You can just run a traditional no, offense. They only ran five RPOs on Saturday. I know, that, but that's my point. I, I think I think they have to be able to do all these things. Yeah, you have to stretch the field vertically. You have to show that you can run the football when you want to. But you can still mix in the RPO. Like, mm-hmm. those are still good plays that you I, – I just thought they got completely away from them, which um, I, I get it, but – I think moving forward, those are still going to have to be a big part of the offense. And But the big thing is just finding – I think they had maybe two shots downfield. One was just on a uh, a free play offsides. They threw it up to Shy Smith. The ball, I think, hit out of bounds. And then uh, a deep post to Brian Edwards that was maybe there and was a little bit overshot. But Don't you think Brian should have gotten that one, though? Um, that was one that I feel like a, a receiver that's 6'3 needs to go up and get. It seemed like he was – the pass was a little bit – it was a little bit more into his body than I think mm-hmm. you want to throw that route. But all I, that seems like the you know exactly why you want a guy with that frame, with that kind of height, to body out the the defensive back, get him on his back, and go up and just like high point the ball. And I feel like he could he could have made a play for Ryan there, and I feel like he didn't. Yeah, and so I, I just moving forward, and and some some of that, some of the lack of vertical passing game was just dictated by the game and that. Kentucky's playing a lot of zone. They're dropping back, so you're throwing a lot of quick screens to the outside. Uh, you're up in the game, so you really, you know, I, I felt like South Carolina felt like they were in control of the game, which, you know, they didn't want to put the ball in danger. But but just moving forward, they have to be able to, you have to make opponents defend all parts of the field. And Kentucky was not good enough to make South Carolina pay for that. But these other teams will be good enough. So I, I think while it was good to see that they can run the football, if we're talking big picture and you know, nitpicking about what can we actually take from this game, I think eventually you have to be able to sort of put all these elements together. And that that's when, you know, not to spoil it, but later on in our buy or sell, there's going to be something about the offense. And for South Carolina to be better offensively, 
and put up more points, I think they have to be able to prove they can threaten defenses in more ways at the same time than they're, you know, in the same game, I should say, than they've been able to show so far this season. And that's something that's really confounded me this entire season, where you look at the different elements of Carolina's offense and you say, okay, they're running the ball well. They're blocking the run well. The pass blocking hasn't been great, something they can certainly improve, and obviously having Jalen Nichols starting at his first game at right tackle is going to introduce, I guess, a few more obstacles than you're used to when you have a, a guy that was a freshman all-conference right tackle and Dylan Wanham. Ryan Holinsky's been pretty good. He wasn't asked to do a whole lot, but actually graded out reasonably well. Had had a fine game, but again, wasn't asked to do too much, so we didn't see a whole lot from him. The receivers, I think, by and large, have been good. You know, haven't struggled with drops like they did last year, have generally gotten separation. I feel like Brian Edwards has had a, a good season, especially running with the ball after the catch. Same with Shy. Um, you know, maybe Josh Van hasn't come on as, as strong as you'd like, but I think Carolina has gotten more productivity from their tight ends than you would have expected after the news that Keel Pollard went out. Like, Markaway has been great. Nick Muse has really, really helped the team in a lot of ways and has given Carolina more flexibility to run more of the 12 personnel that was so effective against Kentucky. Um, so you look at each individual part of the offense and you say, these things are all going pretty well. Not, you know, there's no there's no reason to believe that South Carolina should be as potent on offense as Oklahoma or Ohio State. But all of the individual pieces, I think, put together should be greater than what they are doing offensively right now. So this is a well, this doesn't get talked about a lot because people often talk about the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. I think this is an instance where the offense, the whole of the offense is less than the sum of the parts. And I, I can't put my finger on what it is. They just aren't terribly efficient and don't score the football well. And, and I don't know if that's play calling, if that's just inability to execute at the right moments or what exactly it is. Chris, do you have any theory as to why this offense seems to be underperforming its talent? I don't know if this will be an explanation for it, but the, the reason – uh, that they have not been scoring as many points as maybe anticipated as inconsistency. I mean, and there, I, I don't know if there's one like blanket answer of it's this, it's this. As it tends to be in a complex game like football, it's sort of a variety of factors. So you go back and look at it. Okay, the North Carolina, it's not count Charleston Southern because they were great in that game. And, you know, there, there were many reasons for that too. One, it was the competition level, et cetera. But the North Carolina game, um, you know, Maybe they get away from the run some, but also quarterback play was not very good. Um, they also weren't getting open very much. I mean, you didn't get the ball to Brian Edwards. You know, what did he have? One target in the game. So you start targeting Brian Edwards more in the season, he starts making more plays. Well, you, you got to target him. Um, you got to find ways to put the ball in his hands. So I think in that game, it's a variety of factors, right? I think they're, you know, the players aren't having a great day. The quarterback play was not as good. The play calling, maybe they didn't get their players in some in some situations there. Um, there was, you know, there was the fourth and one. There was the fourth and six. There's a defense giving up two 90-yard drives. So there was that. The Alabama game, look, the only problem in that game was I think they had it inside the Bama 31, what was it, eight times, and they came over points, points five times. So why is that? And a lot of field goals. I think it was, what was it, three field goals, two touchdowns, or vice versa, whatever it may be in that in that situation. Um, they moved the ball pretty well in that game, whether it was running the ball mm -hmm. or passing it. They played well. They had two turnovers. I, I, beginning of the season, if you would have told me that score, 
if if this team was exactly what we maybe anticipated going into this season, you, you told me that was going to be the score of the Bama game. I say they played pretty well. Sure, and they uh, did. And they so, did. so they did. So you know, I really. But again, think, it's more about scoring fourteen points against Missouri, right? Twenty against North now, Carolina, and only twenty four. So against go Kentucky. to the Missouri game. I think Missouri is again. They get away from the run. Okay, the quarterback play was not good in that game. We all saw it. And a lot of people talk about play calling. I can understand, you know, again, we won't do last week's podcast again, but mm-hmm. the, they did get away from the run, and we saw they got back to it against Kentucky. Could have they have had more success against Missouri running the ball? Probably so, but at the same time, if they hit some of those play, if they hit some easy throws early that were good RPO decisions, they probably have more success. Should they have shifted and changed more before halftime? One could argue that for sure. Um, so I think that was that game. And then you had the turnovers. I mean, you had a 100-yard pick six. It was a 14-point swing. So that was also difficult. Kentucky, you know, not a great offensive performance. But, I, I mean, it was it was better than I expected. Really? I didn't ex- Did you expect 200-yard rushers? But 24 points. Well, the points, right. But, I mean, I, I didn't pick them to score 24 points. Didn't you? No. Nah. What was your final score prediction? I thought Kentucky was going to win. But you thought, but you thought Kentucky would win in a, in like twenty to seventeen. Twenty four seventeen, I think, is what I picked. Wow. I said twenty four twenty. So now that doesn't mean that the offensive performance was great. I'm not saying that. I'm saying certain areas were better than I thought. The the overall points were better, and I'm just basing this on what we've seen this season, right? Not what I thought before the season. I, I was basing on, on on what we saw this season. It was only to me. It's sort of a prove it game, right? I mean. Um, and the defense played better than I thought they would, and the offense played better than I thought they would from the standpoint of they dominated both lines of scrimmages. They ran the ball for two backs, went over 100 yards, which has not happened around here a lot, so that's pretty good. Um, And, you know, they scuffled here and there on offense, I'm sure. I mean, the third quarter they had three straight three and outs, whatever it may have been. They weren't – I think they were 5 of 15 on third down, Mm -hmm. so they were okay, not great. Um, so, yeah, this offense hasn't reached its potential, but I think you look at all the different factors. They've gotten away from the run sometimes. It looks like now they're going to focus on that a little bit more. Uh, they had a quarterback change at the beginning of the season, so you still got to factor in. I mean, Ryan Holinsky, he was a big-time recruit. He's a freshman, mm-hmm. you know, so he's not what he's going to be. So I think they're still feeling their way through it a little bit. I'm not excusing it. I'm not saying it's okay for them to be playing like this, but what we try to do here is explain things or put them in context. and. So I think they've just been inconsistent. And um, I think they found a little bit more consistency in this game, even if they weren't, uh, even if they're not reaching their full potential, if that makes sense. So, yeah, okay. So to say it another way, South Carolina performed better than you expected them to perform this past weekend and only scored 24 points and won the battle on the line of scrimmage and kind of did whatever they wanted to and still were able to score 24 points only. So this offense just isn't very good, and that's fine. But that's just where this team is right now. No, I wouldn't say that. I think you can – look, I mean, you can go – football's a weird game. I mean, they, they could have had, you know, for example, two more explosive plays. They yeah, we, we have no reason to believe that, that they would because we're five weeks into the season and we haven't seen – they haven't – the most they scored against an FBS opponent is 24 points. So we have no reason right. to think that they'll do better than that. Which is an easy transition into our buy or sell, and we can continue our conversation there. But first, tell us about the Bishop team. Yeah, Bishop Real Estate Group. Terry Bishop is a former Gamecock quarterback, huge supporter of the program, still 
uh, 36 years of real estate experience. So obviously our readers, our listeners um, in different areas of life, if they need a business person, um, they want somebody who knows what they're doing and supports the Gamecocks. So Terry Bishop's an obvious choice for that. Facebook.com slash the Terry Bishop team or 665-1442-803 area code, 803-665-1442. Check out Terry Bishop. So the first of our buy or sells. Buy or sell, South Carolina will score more than 30 points against an FBS opponent this year. Just one time. I'm, I'll buy. Okay. Are you buying? Yes. Okay. Who's your mark? Uh, I thought of one in my head. Vandy or Tennessee? Yeah. I think that's the ones that people are going to pick. Vanderbilt was the one that came to mind for me. Um, LSU, ladies and gentlemen, is really good on offense, which is a weird thing to say. They scored 66 against Vandy. I didn't watch that game. I'm not sure how Vanderbilt scored 45 points. They had two different touchdowns for what that's worth. Okay. Two, all right, there you go. We, we're we living in an alternate universe, though. When when LSU yeah. is scoring 66 well, points. When the final score Al- of an LSU-Vanderbilt game is 66 to 45, we have yeah. officially entered the twilight. Yeah, zone. yes. Alabama <laughs> throws the ball yeah. to their four wide receivers mm-hmm. more, way more than they run the football. 4,000-yard uh, receivers. Yeah, South Carolina <laughs> just had to break a five-game losing streak to Kentucky, not in basketball, in football. Yes. Yeah, and Strange Clemson stuff. is the premier football program in America. We're... We are in an alternate rea- reality. And right, Matt but- Brown's the coach at UNC yes. and doing well. That, so Vanderbilt has – here's here's what Vanderbilt's given up this year, and there may be defensive touchdowns in here against Vandy too, right? But points on the board, 30 to Georgia, which is actually pretty good for them, uh, 42 to Purdue, yikes, 66 to LSU, and in a win against Northern Illinois, 18. They won by six, 24 to 18 against Northern Illinois at home. So – they're not that good. No, but here's why I'm selling this. Carolina has played other defenses. I mean, I think Missouri's defense is fine. I think Kentucky's defense is not very good. Alabama's defense is obviously good. And then I think North Carolina's defense has, continues to show that, I mean, there's a reason that Jay Bateman was a two-time Royals finalist. That guy's Army. good. He, I mean, he, he confounded Clemson this weekend. I think that has as much to do with Clemson, you know, working some things out on offense and Trevor Lawrence not being the guy that he was for most of last season. You know whether it whether it's just taking him a while to get into the to the rhythm of a season or, or whatever the case is, North Carolina did a great job defensively there. So you almost give Carolina a pass, but they haven't shown an ability to score more than twenty four points against good or bad defenses. So they they just kind of have their own like built in ceiling. Here's a weird North Carolina defense stat: Appalachian State out of the five opponents, group of five team is the most points that North Carolina surrendered. Mm-hmm. South Carolina and Clemson also scored the exact same amount of points, 20 in the games. So weird. Now, So Carolina and Clemson are going to tie this year? Nope. Look, what <laughs> I'm saying is Clemson, right, you, you, Clemson's offense is better than South Carolina. We all know that. Clemson also scored on the road. They scored the exact amount, same amount of points as South Carolina in their game. So I don't believe in the transitive property of football or anything like that. But it just goes to show you, like, they had a poor game. And Clemson's offense, for a variety of reasons, for the most part, has not been what they thought. They have they have not played very good competition for a lot of the year. Um, but it's not like their offense has been incredible. And they've got a lot of weapons on that offense, a lot, more than Carolina does, for sure. So what I'm saying is, I don't know, even though it's been five games. Well, four games against. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. So four games. Yeah, four so games. even more so. Yeah. That'll illustrate my point even more. Reinforce it rather. I don't know if this offense is what it is yet, because of because. You know, and and you can say, well, it shouldn't have taken them long, this long to figure it out. I agree with you, but Rico Dowdle and Feaster, if if they are indeed going to, hey, we gotta give these guys the ball more. Okay, well, that's something to file away. Um, Ryan Holinsky is still playing in his fourth game, right? This is fifth this game. This is fifth, fifth game, game but coming fourth, up. Fourth real game, and he was hurt for one of those and missed most of the week of practice. Okay, so this will so be another, like his fourth week another, of practice. Another, you know. One of those games, their offensive line, comp- the North Carolina game, you know, now you should say, well, you should have known, you know, your offensive line. So Manos and Douglas shouldn't have been your starters. You should have been starting Jordan Rhodes and Javon Gwynn, who have played well. Okay, well, it's finished. You know, that's done. They made the change, right? Um, Brian Edwards and Shy Smith are playing pretty well. Like, some of the younger guys are maybe – so, I just don't know that – we do have a sample size for the offense, and no, I don't think they're going to start scoring forty-five a game. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm not. That's not even their ceiling. I don't think they even have that potential. But I do think they can be better than what they've shown. Well, that's think, all I'm saying. I, I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier. Can can they find a way to sort of put all these individual pieces together to where maybe they they work a little bit better off of each other, where it all sort of just melds together i, I guess I, we looks like an offense as opposed to a collection of plays that are being run yes like we we've seen we've seen in different spurts this offense be very good at doing specific things that like you said all should add together to make a pretty good offense now can you know can they put it all together and i i think that especially saturday i, I think the pass blocking issues kept South Carolina also from having it, – it seemed like at times when there were chances to put the game away that Helensky just did not have time to throw the football down the field, that he was under pressure a lot. The numbers say out of 31 dropbacks, he was under pressure 10. I, I don't know where that – what that percentage stacks up to, but it actually felt like even more than that to me, honestly. But But a lot of those throws that are counted among the 31 are the quick, you know, screen throws, you know. I don't know how many of these are just straight dropbacks. And uh, also, Kentucky really didn't have to blitz to do that. So they're dropping a lot of guys back into coverage, and it keeps South Carolina from being able to, um, you know, throw the football as well. So I I, I don't know. I, I think moving forward, there are some issues, I think, as far as putting all this together offensively. But I think fixing the pass blocking has to be a, a big key moving forward, too. And you know, some of that is, like you said, you got a guy like Jalen Nichols who's, you know, not only playing against an SEC team for the first time, but playing really the first game that he's played in that matters um, for the first time. So there's going to be some growing pains. An offensive line, if, you know, four guys can block really well, but if one guy whiffs, then your quarterback is on his back. Well, that's a great point. And Carolina gave up three sacks on Saturday. One of them was just Jalen Nichols getting beat by his guy, Watson maybe, number 31. He just – Boogie. Know, yeah, got, got beat off the uh, – Got beat off the edge, and, and that was it. The other two sacks, one of them was a coverage sack, and then one of them was a miscommunication between Jordan Rhodes and Donnell Stanley, where basically Jordan Rhodes took the tackle who was, was like crashing in. It was yeah. a stunt, yeah, and and Stanley was left trying to chase the looper um, into the, I guess, backside A-gap or whatever, and that's how they gave up that other sack. So you say Dylan Wadham maybe doesn't give up a sack that Jalen Nichols does. You're talking about giving up two sacks. Only one of them on is on the offensive line. The other one's a coverage sack. You're not talking about a really bad performance. So the margins on on this thing are, are really fine. Um, 
and you hope that they get that worked out. I don't know what Dylan Wanham's timeline is. I know at least a couple of weeks, not going to be back for Georgia, hopefully for Florida, maybe, because you're going to need, like I said, your freshman all-conference right tackle back when you're trying to win some of these marginal games, games where you're still going to be an underdog but actually do have a realistic shot. But So y'all are both buying. Yeah, but I, and I – I, d- I didn't think it was a very good performance from the offensive line and pass blocking at all. If you're if you're just talking about the three sacks, just sacks, you know, it's one thing. But I, I thought as far as pressure being on Holinsky, um Five pressures, I think, Kentucky was but, credited for in addition to sacks. But he's under pressure, according to PFF. He was under pressure on 10 of his throws. You know, and like I said, that's of 31 passes. But a lot of those thir- – I would have to go back and look. How many of the straight drop back throws? What percentage of those would he have been considered under pressure? And he his not, a reasonably high percentage because they didn't have that many. Um, which then is is not obviously a good sign either way. How you know however many times you drop back, if he's under pressure on most of those drop backs, then that's that's not a good sign for your offense. He's got to drop back more. Um, I I just I think that kept the offense from having a much bigger day because clearly they were they were blocking well in the running game. But, I, you know, I made this point on the no huddle. I, I didn't really feel like the offensive line was entirely dominant run blocking. I thought they did enough to let Rico and Tavian go do what they do. Like, I, I think the, the big story was these two guys running to daylight, running through contact, making people miss, um, running hard. And, uh, you know, those guys, I think, each of them had, like, one of them had six, you know, avoided tackles. One of them had five avoided tackles. So you're talking about 11 force missed tackles between those two guys. You know, we, we've talked really for the last couple of years about South Carolina not having that running back who can sort of take, a, take something that's blocked for two and make it five or take something that's blocked for seven and make it 15. But now we're actually seeing that from that position, So, um, which actually makes it even more weird that the rest of the offense is sort of not – click together right you, you, you looked at last year and you're like, okay well the missing piece was the inability to run the football now they add running the football and they you know can't pass it all that well right now or, or just convert their downs or score points or whatever the issue is it's a combination of things but uh rico and tavian again were the two highest graded players on south carolina's offense the offensive line graded out i think average or like above average as a group which sort of bears out sort of what you saw and also confirms what eric kimry told me a long time ago that i thought was interesting and I guess I'm just forced to believe more and more, which is that he'd rather have an elite running back than an elite offensive line any day of the week. But y'all are buying. I'm selling that Carolina will score 30 points against an FBS opponent this year. Uh, next up, buy or sell, Ryan Helensky, who is 15 to 27, 140 yards, no touchdowns, no picks um, in that game against Kentucky. He's at five touchdowns and three interceptions on the season right now. Buy or sell, Ryan Helensky will throw 16 touchdown passes by the end of the regular season, so not including the bowl game. I'm going to buy... Um, mainly just because I I think he's going to be able to settle in. You know, they'll possibly be able to fix some of the protection issues. And, you know, I I think at times they'll have to. As the game went on Saturday, I think they felt like this game is in control. This game is in hand. We don't really have to put the ball up, put it in danger. That's probably not the case for some other opponents, I think. Um, You know, he'll be forced to throw the football a little bit more, you know, certainly if South Carolina's behind against some of these teams. I, I'm not going to say he gets to that number easily, but I, I do think he'll get to that number. I'm going to buy. Cool. I'm going to buy it. Good. I think Wes had a good uh, analysis of that. Thank you, Wes. Situation. Um, I'm going to buy all. it too. I, if it were 17, I think I would sell it. 
but I feel like it's going to be right at 16 because he's got to have a little more than one a game. And you feel like if he does have three or four against Tennessee or Vanderbilt or App State, which I guess I'm, I'm coming dangerously close to flying in the face of my 30. Um, the one thing that scares me about this is Carolina has not proven to be an explosive offense, which is it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. It, when, when they get on the plus side of the field, if they're not efficient in the red zone, it's not like they're really getting long touchdowns from anywhere. You have the, the Brian Edwards screen against Missouri and then the long Brian Edwards touchdown against Charleston Southern, which again doesn't count. And other than that, Carolina hasn't really had those explosive play touchdowns. I guess, you know, the Tavian Feaster 30-yard run, but in terms of really breaking things open, not being on the opponent's side of the field and scoring a touchdown, there haven't been a lot of those. And I feel like when Carolina does get down into the red zone, given that they have a couple of good running backs, they're going to rely more on the run. So most of those red zone touches are going to end up going to running backs as opposed to receivers. So that's why I'm I'm hesitant on this. But 16 feels like a reasonable number. You know, a couple two-touchdown games, throwing at least one in every other game. That feels about right. So I guess we're all going to buy that one. And uh, lastly, as we, as we head into the bye week, basically halfway through the season, five-twelfths of the way through the season, seven more games left for Carolina. They're two and three. Are you buying or selling, Chris, that Carolina will go bowling this year? You know, I, I'm i going to barely buy that impulse buy. Because... I love a good impulse buy. My last impulse yeah. buy was... Well, I don't impulsively buy things, but a couple years ago I impulsively bought a PS2, and it was the best decision I've ever made. That would be the worst for me because I wouldn't get enough stuff done. Oh, that's, why, that's exactly why it was great. Because uh, I guess I lost my PS2 that I used to play and was just dying to play Jack and Daxter again. And uh, I did it. It was great. My so last, I support impulse buys. My last impulse buy got stolen out of my car. No. So, yeah. My AirPods. Oh. Oh, that's brutal. I didn't know they just got stolen. I'm not going to say the words I said about the person that did it. So they're a doo doo head? Yeah. All right. What was the question? So, it, so okay, can I do a quick analysis? Are you buying or selling? Um, Chris didn't. Chris didn't much for buy or sell analysis, which is fine. He I, I was about to do one. Okay. You took it away from me, <laughs> like Charles Barker. You took it away from. Me. <laughs> All right. Do you want to go ahead and say analyze? Wait, no, no, no. I don't want to. I don't want to steal this moment from Chris. I he wants to, to analyze. It's this. My moment of glory. Yeah. So, I mean, here's a Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, statement. They need four wins to get to a bowl game. See, that's oh <laughs> man. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Go on. So is that a game changer? So. The games that they have to win, Vanderbilt at home, at Tennessee, neither of those are like gimmies by any means. Mm. Um, then and, oh, no, Van- App Vanderbilt's State, a gimme, you got to win App State, but you get them at home. I still feel I feel like they can win that game. Well, there's three. There's three, and so you need one. And then just basically, be yeah. Well, <laughs> that would work. <laughs> but but your best two out of the remaining four, your best two chances to get one more are Florida. At A&M. And I feel better about either of those now, even with South Carolina's slow start, than I did before the season. I, I felt like one of those, again, I, I've, I've made this point, I felt like South Carolina was going to drop one game that they shouldn't have this season. I didn't think it would be North Carolina. That wasn't in my pool. And then win one that they shouldn't. And so the two that I picked, you know, to, to win one that they shouldn't, um, A&M was one of those. You know, and so uh, A&M hasn't looked all that convincing neither has florida but um i don't know I, I think somebody asked me on the insiders forum the other day which of those games is more winnable and it was difficult 
because I felt like A&M was the more winnable game, but that you, then you count the fact that it's on the road. Ah, see, I think Florida's more winnable and at home. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Texas A&M's line has looked bad. Kellen Mond's been running for his life, but he's yeah. still a more dynamic quarterback right now than Kyle Trask. Okay. And he scares me more than Trask, so that would be my – that would be what That Texas makes gets. total sense. Um, so, buying or selling? But, yeah, I'm, I'm still going to buy. I'm, oh, I'm going to okay. go – Great. You know, again, in, impulse buy. Um, I don't think it's, – it's hard to pick them to win more than six right now. Mm-hmm. It's possible. I mean, maybe they beat A&M and Florida. Ooh. Um, Chris feeling frisky on a bye week. Well, I said a maybe. I didn't say that's what I'm going to Chris said pick. it's already happened. He saw yeah. it. He's seen it. And he's just coming back to report for us. Wesley. What you got? I'm selling, man. Yeah. Oh. Sell, sell, Womp. sell, sell. <laughs> I, I, think that Nor- I think the North Carolina game right now, just based on what we've seen, could haunt South Carolina for the entire season. Because right now – to me, just from a purely percentage standpoint, it looks like five and seven is the most likely scenario to me. Um, I was looking at ESPN, FBI, just an eleven percent chance to beat Georgia, thirty-two point six percent chance to beat Florida, twenty-five point three percent chance to beat A and M, sixteen point one percent chance to beat Clemson. Um, obviously, Carolina favored over Tennessee, Vandy, App State. That would that would put them at five and seven. Like I mean, like you said, may, maybe they win one of these other games, but then they still have to win the games that they're quote supposed to win as well. Though you know we can chalk them up as W's, but those are not guarantees. So, Vanderbilt's a guarantee, but at uh, Tennessee and App State are not. Yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. I I I go back to what I said earlier. If South Carolina finds some way to beat Florida at home, then all of a sudden I think they can get momentum and actually turn this season around. Um, and then, you know, maybe they maybe they do even go to Texas A&M feeling good about themselves. But I'm if, going to that game, so that would be terrific. I've heard that's an awesome It's a great trip. trip. Man, but, it's great. But if we're sitting here today saying what's most likely to happen, then I have to sell. All right, dig this. I'm going to buy it, but I think Carolina is going to go bowling at 5-7 and seven like Mississippi State did a couple years ago. And so this is that really is just, cheating. That, no, it's it's not. It's a it's a pick that is in support of anarchy because I think bowls in college football have become as meaningless. The bowl game itself, there's value in the practice, which is curious because Will Muschamp didn't even use all of his last year, but that's a podcast for another time. The bowl games in college football have become as meaningless as preseason games in the NFL. I hate them. I think they're stupid. The pool has been diluted and ruined forever, in my opinion, by the fact that a 5-7 and seven Mississippi State team went bowling. So I'm going to say Carolina only wins three more games against Vanderbilt, against App State. Tennessee? Either either at Tennessee or home against Florida. They could totally lose at Tennessee because even when they're great, they lose at Tennessee because that's a horrible place. I think they'll be 5-7 and seven this year, and I think they'll still go bowling because college football is dumb. We uh, ran the uh, the gauntlet on the, on the picks for that there. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. That? So that was like the most pessimistic buy, like even humanly possible. I had to do some mental gymnastics to get there. But uh, that's our buy or sell for this week. Thanks so much to the Bishop Group for sponsoring that segment. We like doing that. Um, it's a bye week for Carolina. Will Muschamp didn't do his press conference yesterday. He's uh, not even in the city. He fled the angry mob. I guess the mob's actually pretty pretty the placated. Mob's chilling right yeah, now. Yeah, they're, they're, they're placated right <laughs> they're now. They're chill. They're calm. 
Uh, but he's on a recruiting trip, I think. That's what we heard. Well, well he's big... in he's in town now. Sorry to cut you off. Oh yeah. Oh, he's in town now. So the staff. But he's been doing recruiting stuff. Right. This the week. staff's like meeting and practice. Yeah. So they went out Monday. Yeah, and Tuesday. And then they're going out on Friday. Oh, Monday and Friday. Yeah, because okay. Friday, you know, games. And yeah, whatnot. yeah. Okay. Um, All right. Cool. So where? Yeah. Wentz. Wentz stuff. They traveled. So on Friday they'll be hitting. Um, not sure the specific games, but just basically the emphasis this week. Um, at this point in the season, is going to be on hitting committed guys. And so they'll go check out some games, whether it's the assistants or Muschamp himself, um, go check out some games. You know, so guys like uh, Luke Doty and Alex Huntley and um, a lot of, from, from what I've gathered, a lot of guys that are the in-state commitments, guys in North Carolina, so Muhammad Kaba, Daquan Stewart, um, those types of guys, Michael Wyman, and then Georgia. That, those are really the territories they're going to focus on especially in the Carolinas as far as either hitting schools or hitting games on Friday. On Monday, uh, Will Muschamp made a key stop to a committed guy. He, he traveled up to Maryland to uh, go to the school, Marshawn Lloyd, four-star running back commitment. So, obviously, he was a priority guy. Oh, he, was from Delaware. See. he is from Delaware and commutes to DeMatha in Maryland. Hmm. Confirming my suspicion that there's actually nothing in Delaware. It's a, it's a, I think it's a small place. I've never been there, but uh, that's, <laughs> that's sure what they exists. say. I yeah. think it's, I mean, I think it's just a neighborhood in Maryland, really. I don't Always know much on about the it. Conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, know, I love conspiracies. Um, yeah. Well, cool. Good job. And, and and they'll check out some underclassmen in the surrounding areas, but really the focus, you know, is going to be making sure the committed guys are feeling the love, feeling the attention. So that's what this week is for. Yep. Take advantage of it in the middle of the season. And Carolina had. I guess good visits from a couple of official visitors after the Kentucky game. It was a great atmosphere. It was fun to be at that game, and it was uh, all positive from the guys that were visiting. Yeah, I think just the entire program, it, it was good for them to get back to winning ways. When you have official visitors in, you you don't have to win the game, obviously, but considering where the program sort of was going into that game, they needed to win the game for a variety of reasons, and uh, the the atmosphere paid off a lot, I think. You know, we haven't mentioned it. You got to give, I think, the fan base credit. As much as there was so much negativity leading into that game on social media, the fan base, you know, in real life, you know, in the stadium, they showed up. Like, they were there. It was a good crowd. Um, finally stayed, got a night game. Well, anyway. They did. I mean, they, they stayed more than they have in any other game this year. Yeah. Like, it was, it was a good crowd for – the entirety of the game being in the balance. Yeah, I was impressed how many people were there right after halftime. I, I sort of agree with Wes. You would think people would really want to soak that in. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? But, but uh, you know, I think give give the fan base credit because th those guys obviously took notice of that, that it's big-time SEC football. Um, Laneith Whitehead, linebacker slash running back from Georgia. You know, I talked to him. I actually talked to some people around him as well. He had a, a number of his family members in town as well. This was sort of a South Carolina-Tennessee battle with Wisconsin and Georgia sort of a little bit outside of those top two. I don't think Georgia's actually doing much with them. But I sort of leave this weekend thinking South Carolina has passed Tennessee. I think Tennessee was in the lead. Tennessee has their own issues, South Carolina winning the game and just the official going very, very well, I think puts South Carolina in the front. For Whitehead, he's going to make a decision, you know, possibly within the next month or so. And then um, Henry Parrish, a, a kid – at running back in Miami area that's just blown up his senior year, has had huge numbers, has emerged as a major target for South Carolina. Um, Chris talked to him. His, his visit went very, very well, too. And, you know, I think South Carolina – he's committed to Pitt, but it's one of those things that, you know, Pitt 
has his commitment, but I think South Carolina is in better position right now uh, with him as well. So could could be a situation where they end up going two for two on official visitors from this past weekend, which, as we've talked about for a while, the, you know, the recruiting class, there's only a handful of spots left. So um, those, those two could be two guys that, that take up slots in this recruiting class. And Trap Storm absolutely helped that. I have no question about it. That's what I'm calling the Sandstorm remix, the Trap remix, <laughs> Trap Storm. By Marcos oh, 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 wait, wait. What about Sand Trap? That's, that's, that's good. good. That's a good one. That's, that's what it is. One, it's yeah. Sand Trap. Okay, cool. See, that's that's how the creative process works, folks. You just saw it <laughs> live, except recorded, but it happened in real time. Um, so good news on the recruiting front from Carolina. Yes. They haven't been hemorrhaging recruits like people were afraid was going to happen after a 2-3 and three start um, and the visit up to Marshawn Lloyd just to be like, hey, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Look what these great running backs are doing. That's what you can do next year when these guys are both gone. So um, all good on that front. Before we get out of here, Slotsky's Challenge. Yes. Who won? Um, I don't have a winner for everybody right now, but um, if you go to Slotsky's, you are a winner. So um, Pearson is has his hands in the air like he just got a chocolate chip cookie from No, Slotsky's like day. I'm apoplectic um, that you haven't done your homework in assigning the Slotsky's. Oh, Chris has got I'm a going Slotsky's to Slotsky's thing. after this. Yeah, so the point of mentioning them on the show is not necessarily to – give a random username it's to tell everybody how great Slotsky's deli is and someone did I, win this week and they won a delicious tailgate platter from Slotsky's yes yeah, $60 worth for free oh. um by the way if you're listening other than this past week be on the lookout because all the ones all the winners from the first few weeks have been sent out so make sure you're checking your mail so you take advantage of that but $60 worth of uh tailgating supplies and food to Slotsky's deli but um yeah, we're we're happy to have them on as a so or as a sponsor because we get to eat there a lot too. We and do eat anyway. Their chocolate chip cookies, yeah. dude. I got the Cinnabon. Yeah. Because um, Cinnabon is a part of Slotsky's right. now. They're cinnamon rolls. I got that. The when other did day. you get it? Ridiculously good. Last week. Have you recovered? <laughs> oh yeah, I was ready for things more. like eight pounds. <laughs> no, I got the little four the minis. minis. Okay, all right. Which cool. is probably the same as <laughs> yeah, one probably. big one, but yeah, dude, I've been eating so much sugar lately. Um, but yeah, that thing was good. Oh yeah, that thing was really good. Well, thanks so much to Slotsky's. Wes will have uh, we'll, he'll actually do a better job of having updated winners because we like to give you all a shout out. Because you know, in addition to winning sixty dollars, it's I don't know if it's fun to get shouted out on a podcast. Hopefully, it is. I think it would be. I got shouted out on a podcast that I listened to a couple of weeks ago, and it was a blast. And actually, Kev Roche texted me. He's like, "Yo, did you know that they mentioned you in this podcast?" I was like, "I absolutely knew that." Um, so that was really fun. Carolyn's got a bye week this week though, so no picks contest, correct? Correct. There's nothing to pick. And uh, if Will Muschamp has his way, Carolina will kick Open's ass. But for- unfortunately, there's no way to to put a score on that. But we'll be back next week. And since we won't have a game to talk about, we'll spend a, a ton of time talking about the upcoming Georgia game and what kind of miracles Carolina is going to need to pull off that upset. But until then, y'all have a good week. Be sure to check out all the other podcasts on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network to uh, to fill the void in your life of South Carolina football this week. And uh, it's also going to be a good slate of games this weekend. So enjoy watching some other teams. It's going to be a lot of fun games this weekend. So y'all enjoy that. Enjoy your week. And we'll talk to you next Wednesday.